Good morning, my name is Julie Gretzner. This morning our scripture reading is from the book of John. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading from John chapter 11, selected verses in the New American Standard Bible. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, The sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Remove the stone. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> My name is Peter, and I am one of the pastors here. And we are continuing our series in the book of John. But before we get to that, I just wanted to make a comment about how great the music was today. I just really appreciate Katie and the gang up here. I learned a new thing this week, which is that when a group of people come together and sing the same song, two things happen. Our heartbeats begin to synchronize. This is just on a physiological level. Just, you may have a faster heart rate, you may have a slower heart rate, but then when we sing together, they begin to beat as one at the same time. That's kind of phenomenal. And then our, and our brain waves, which are all over the place, as we sing together, they begin to synchronize. And that's a really powerful thing. And so there's a lot of, um, underneath the surface, things that are happening when we come together like this. And it's a real opportunity. It's, it's not something that is just happening, but it's a powerful thing that we get to enter into and experience together. And this is the context in which God shows up in a different way, in a unique way, 
unlike any other time during your week, when we come together. I think that's partly why the Bible says, do not stop gathering together. It's a really vital thing. It's, it's a nutritious and important thing. So thank you for being here today. Today I want to, by the way, another comment. I forgot about this one. Did you all hear Owen's prayer up here? Didn't you feel fed by that? I mean, how amazing was that? And that's all good. But you know, this is Joseph's son. And I've heard Joseph pray a lot, and his prayers are sounding like Joseph's prayers. And so one day we're going to have another Joseph in this church. And that's all on us now, because we're just applauding that. from So it's our fault. We love you, Joseph. Sometimes. Um, today, I want to talk about this idea of divine intervention. Do you believe in divine intervention? That God who created the world and set the universe in motion, does he intervene in a way that is not unnatural, but supernatural? Does he intercept events and situations, conversations, encounters in your life? Do you believe that you need intervention in your life? Let's say you don't believe in God. How do you feel about the trajectory of your life's narrative? You like it? If you could wave a magic wand, is there something you would change today, right now, so it's never, ever the same again? You're headed this way, but something changes course for you. Do you want that? Do you feel the need for that? I believe that God intervenes. I really, really have come to believe this to be true. And I also believe that regardless of your faith position, regardless of your religious affiliation, regardless of your views on the Bible stories, I believe in your heart of hearts, you want and you regularly wish or ask for some sort of intervention. There's a part of you that knows without intervention, without some sort of outside force interjecting itself into the natural course of your life, you're not going to make it. I know this because pop culture loves the idea of redemption. There's hardly a movie you can watch that doesn't have touch on at least the theme of redemption, something that was bad, something intended for evil, somehow being used for good. There's irony and karma. We have these words in our culture because in our heart of hearts, to be a conscious human being means we long for intervention in our life. I wish, I hope, these words represent deep longings of the human heart. And it's not just from our life, but you look around the world, you hear the news that's happening in the world, and you say, what do we do? What's our recourse? What power do we have? 
Somewhere in that feeling or thought in your reaction, there is a little voice saying, we need help beyond ourselves. Something from outside our closed system. Something that's beyond human nature because clearly human nature needs help. We need something. John chapter 8, we talked about how Contrary to the human response to sin, God's response to sin or brokenness in the world is abdication of power. You know, we try to use other people's foibles to our advantage. But God abdicates his power and uses it to actually help us. In John 9, we talked about God's refusal to judge. We talked about how human beings have a pretty shallow and predictable response. It's either your fault or my fault. I know this every time you email me, I always cringe a little, go, whose fault is this one's? You know, is it mine? If you leave me a message and say, Pastor Peter, I want to talk to you, could you call me back? Oh God, is it my fault or is it their fault? We have this binary judgmental response. That's who we are. And Jesus is outside of that binary framework in response to sin. He said, it's not your fault or my fault, but it's about the glory of God. And when he says that, he's not saying that it's your fault or not your fault. He's saying fault doesn't matter. It probably is my fault. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all because God's going to get his glory through it because he's a redemptive, intervening God. So that's where we are at. And I want to do a little bit of chapter 10 uh, and uh, finish out in 11 today. John chapter 10, uh, verse 10 to 11 says this. Now, the two previous chapters were the human being's response to sinfulness and brokenness. And in John chapter 10, Jesus is really kind of laying out uh, how human beings are. He says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. There is a force, if you will, or a trajectory in this world. And this trajectory is towards death and decay chaos, destruction. That's the natural circle of life. Things don't get better. And we know this uh, from, for example, thermodynamics. We know that everything is tending towards chaos. We know uh, that our entire universe is cooling down, even as it's rapidly expanding. And one day, we are going to just be at a temperature where there's no life possible. All of the universe is going to just be this one way cooler temperature. That's what physicists tell us. They were all headed that way, that our sun is going to burn itself up. And everything else along with it. Even the stars we see now, many of them don't exist anymore. They have burnt out. We're seeing light that's millions and millions and millions of years old. And everything is headed that way towards death, darkness, destruction, chaos. Some kind of thermal equilibrium where there's no life. That's our world. 
And so when Jesus says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, he's talking about the natural course of the known world and the players in it. We don't know how to stop it. We are too powerless to be able to turn the whole ship around. The clock is ticking in one direction. Stealing, killing, destroying. And then Jesus says, but I came. That word right there is referring to the divine intervention of Jesus Christ. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus represents the intervention of God. And by implication, he is saying, there are not many other forces in the world that can do this. In fact, there's no other force in the world that can right the ship, that can turn the clock back. Everything you know, yourself, your relationships, those you care about, the systems of the world, the condition of our planet, our solar system, our universe. Everything is headed towards this one direction. And I think we all as creatures, we know this. The Bible says that creation itself is longing and groaning for the redemption of the children of God. And whether you believe in the Bible or you're a Christian or not, I think this is an innate truth. I see the desperate clawing out there in society, in the world. It's not like we believe, oh, I can't wait for just the clock to just keep going because it's only going to get better. That's just not true. That's not what I see. Many, thing, many things in this world, you know, they appear promising at first. You know, it, it mimics life. But in reality, it destroys and kills. And, and, you know, I didn't read the other verses, verse 12 and following in chapter 10. But Jesus said, you know, the stewards of this world, these hired hands, whenever danger comes, whenever death approaches, they run. They don't stay. Only the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Everybody else, they're just at best a hired hand. They take off. They know that this is a falling world. It's not just a fallen world. And so we need, I believe, divine intervention. You know, the Bible is full of sort of these divine intervention-y kind of words. Words like revive means to live again. Renew. To make new again. Return means turning the clock back. Remember, restore, rest, repent. All these rewords, because a clock is ticking in one direction, and we need somehow, some kind of intervention to turn the clock back. I want to tell you a story. Uh, I have two of these stories this year, um, and I'm a little bit hesitant to share it, bec not because it's not appropriate, but because it's such a sacred and special and precious thing to me. I feel like every time I tell it, it kind of uh, risks, risks being contaminated by my human hands. You know, it's kind of like, 
you know, in, in, um, in astrophysics, they talk about if you observe something, then it's happening differently than if you don't observe it. And I kind of don't want to observe this too much because I like the way it's happening. But the stories like this, uh, this year, this past last 12 months, have been the uh, most significant spiritual season of my life uh, since I first became a Christian. And I had nothing to do with it. I'm a pretty deliberate person. I like participating in the thing that is happening. And in large part, that's fueled by my uh, need to stay one step ahead of everyone, including God. So I love predicting the future. I love just saying it first. You know, before you think it or say it, I want to offer it up there. Because... The thought that you may see or say something before I get to see or say it, that's scary to me. You know, so that's, that's me. And yet I did not predict this. I did, had no idea this was happening. But one experience, this was just uh, maybe now uh, a month ago, a month and a half ago. Uh, for the last two years, I've been in this professional uh, executive coaching program. Um, and that's, that was... Uh, my way of trying to learn how to be a better pastor so I know how to engage you all. So I wanted to learn about coaching. I saw that as a really helpful, disciplined approach uh, layered on with my gifts and my experience, training and theology. So I did that. And I was at my second to last class. And um, whenever we go to class, we sort of sit around and we sort of do a check-in first where we kind of... Uh, share what's been going on, and uh, I didn't say anything. I had nothing to say, and then the teacher, the main teacher, the professor, she said, hey, Peter, we haven't heard from you in like two months. Uh, could we hear from you? What's going on? Uh, and I said, uh, yeah, I have nothing new, you know, same old stuff, and I listed some of those out, and I said, but really, the thing that I'm thinking about is I went on this backpacking trip with my wife, and thanks to her wonderful leadership, uh, we were lost in the woods for three, and, uh, three hours and 40 minutes. <laughs> And I always feel this way about my work. I just feel lost, a little bit like scared, a little bit like I don't know where I'm going, I don't know what I'm doing. I feel incompetent, I feel scared. And uh, she sensed something in my comment and she said, you know, I want to revisit that more fully. Can we put a bookmark on that? Sure. About uh, four hours of class later, 30 minutes left of the class, she stops and she said, Peter, uh, I want to come back to this bookmark that we put on you uh, at the beginning of class. Uh, please share with us more what you're feeling, what you're thinking. <sighs> she said, I'd like you to share, in the, uh, do a spotlight session on you. And in the coaching world, spotlighting means that you sit in front of the class and all the coaches in the room coach you simultaneously. It's a really intimidating experience. Super emotionally intelligent, highly engaged. Two of them are medical doctors. Four of them work at Microsoft. You know, it's kind of a high caliber group, if you will. And so I was naturally intimidated. And so they're asking me questions and things. And my teacher has this sort of hunch. She has this moment. And she's a Christian. And, we and I, she and I have this secret Christian relationship behind doors because none of the class are Christians. Um, and so she says, Peter, you know, uh, everything you're sharing sounds wonderful. 
You've really worked hard over these last two years, and I love the life, the work life you have put together that you're looking forward to. It all makes perfect sense to me. I don't understand where the restlessness is coming from. Why are you so judgmental of your work life? This is what she said. Another coach said, do you have other areas of your life where you're this way? And those two questions I've asked and thought about before, but for some reason at that moment, this moment that I didn't choose for myself, I didn't create it, it penetrated in a way that it never has. This is my 22nd year in ministry, and I have never felt that kind of penetration uh, the way those questions did. It was, in my mind, a thousand percent Holy Spirit moment. And I just sat there in front of all these coaches and just started crying like a baby. So much so that the teacher asked me to leave the room. (laughs) She did. She said, maybe you want to go write some of this down because clearly (laughs) you're like a babbling brook in here. (laughs) So I left the room and I wrote some of this down. And I came back and she said, fill us in. What did you write? And I said, I feel invited by God. Like, this is not a Christian room, you know. They know I'm a pastor. One of them is a shaman, two atheists, a couple of agnostics. I mean, this is a complicated room. I said, I feel invited by God to release my critical and restless spirit about work for the first time in 22 years. And everybody just took a deep breath, like, wow. She said, that is so huge. And two other people in the room just started tearing up because we just felt the holiness of this moment. That was nothing to anybody else, but to me, it was so big. It was so huge. And she said, what would you like to do now? And I said, I feel the need to like, have a ceremony or celebration to mark this Huge thing that's happened. And then she jumps up out of her seat and she says, oh my gosh, we happen to have champagne. (laughs) And then she and one of the TAs ran over to the kitchen, brought back champagne, and all these champagne glasses, they just happened to have ready like in like picnic bags. So we handed out all these champagne glasses and I just popped the corks and I just started pouring champagne and we toasted to God's work in Peter's life. And then, check this out, and this is where, you know, my teacher Patty and I have fun because we're Christians and we always try to somehow inject spirituality to this, you know, very dry environment. And uh, she said, let's form a circle. And if you're comfortable, would you all lay hands on Peter? (laughs) And she said, Peter, is it okay if we lay hands on you? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, wink, wink. (laughs) They're all laying hands on me, and she says, Some of you maybe want to pray. So pray for Peter. And some of you maybe have thoughts, you know, and send good thoughts to Peter. Some of you have good energy. Send good energy to Peter. Whatever it is you do, do that thing you do. We stood there for like four minutes. I'm being prayed for by agnostics and atheists and Christians and a shaman. God working. And I'm still shaking my head about this because it's been such a powerful thing. 
And I don't know how you hear this story, how it lands on you, but for me, this is absolutely, 100% in my mind, divine intervention. And the glory of God shone through my coaching class. Now, you don't have to buy that story. I'm going to tell you one more story. I have just a couple of minutes left, and we're going to really go through this. Um, But when we used to live in Chicago, my dog Bear, who's turning eight very soon, he fell off uh, the top bunk bed, and he landed wrong, and something went totally horribly wrong, and he became disfigured. His arm was sticking out funny, and he was whimpering, and he even tried to bite Susie when she tried to help him. We wrapped him in a mover's blanket. That's all we couldn't find. We had just recently moved to Chicago, and we put him in the car, and we started rushing over uh, to the animal hospital, and he just limp in pain, just still. You couldn't tell the difference if he was dead or alive. And Susie's sitting in the passenger seat, and we are at a red light, and I look over at Susie, and I say, what are we going to do? And she said, maybe you should pray for bear. I said, really, a dog? Are we allowed to pray for animals? <laughs> do they have souls? Like, is this a thing that God cares about? And I remembered a verse that said that you can know a man's heart by the way he treats his ox. I was like, oh, that's interesting. So then I put my hand on bear at the red light, and I prayed for divine intervention. I said, God, we love bear so much. Would you please heal him right now? And I said, in Jesus' name, amen. I I swear, you could ask Susie, verify with her. Bear suddenly opened his eyes, perked up his head, and stuck his head out the window with his tongue hanging out. (laughs) And we brought him to the vet, we put him down, and his arm had somehow fixed itself, and he was walking, normal. And the vet said, are you sure he's hurt? It's like, yeah, we promise. He was really disfigured. What do you want me to do? I said, maybe take an x-ray to confirm. Took an x-ray and said, no, he's 100% fine. You could take him home and I'll need $250. (laughs) True story. I've prayed for my kids. God does nothing. (laughs) Did you know God loves dogs? Do Do you know that he may not have healed your cat, but he healed the dog? Just kidding. Just kidding. Some of us are cat people, and God will heal you (laughs) of that. So I have lots of divine intervention stories. These are two that came to mind that I wanted to tell. And there's really no sermon other than this to invite you to say, you need divine intervention, and you should ask for divine intervention in your life. Because apart from the intervention of God, your life is not headed in the right direction. It's not. I want to show you how Jesus thinks about it. Two, you know, phrase words. If Jesus, then. Verse 21, Martha then said to Jesus, and listen to this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What is that? That's an expression, the human heart's expression of the need for divine intervention. If you had been here. This natural course of events would not have happened. Verse 32. Therefore, when Mary, that's Martha's sister, came, she saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Expressing the same universal human emotion. Right? 
And then verse 37, but some of them, these are the enemies of Jesus, people who actually want to kill him as of chapter 10, firmly decide to kill Jesus after this happened. And it's these same people who say, but some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? Couldn't he have intervened? And really what they're saying is, they're not honest enough here, but they're saying, shouldn't he have intervened? Wasn't that the right thing to do? Isn't that the logical thing to do? Isn't that what God should do if he is God? If Jesus, that's all over, that's the main question of this chapter. If Jesus, if God exists in your life, if God exists in this world, what could he do? What should he do? And I know you have this lingering question in your mind. Regardless of your age, you wonder, if God is God, what's he doing? Why isn't he doing? Shouldn't he be doing? When will he do it? Why won't he do it? Does he care? Does he love? Does he see? If God is good, if God is powerful, if God is real. Yeah, your questions are very valid and biblical. And then we have then. If Jesus then, and this is the application here. So the sisters sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And this was the verse that I meditated on all week. He whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. I want to say this, that I'm sick. And I should die, but I'm not going to. Because Jesus intervenes in my life. And I should be getting worse. My relationship should be degrading. The work of my hands, all the thoughts that I think, it should all be getting worse. Because that's the natural course of things tending towards decay and chaos. And yet, because of the divine intervention in my life, my sickness is not going to end in death, but end with God being glorified. In my life, be glorified. In my life, be lifted up. Lord, in my life, be glorified. That's not wishful thinking. That's not pleading. That's the plan of God. That's what God is going to do. And I have faith in God's redemptive, intervening, story-writing ability in my life. And I want to invite you today to have the same faith. Whatever sickness exists and persists in your life, it will not end in death. It will not. And I want you to believe that. I want you to pray that way. I want you to ask of God for intervention because that's his will for you. That's his desire for you. Have faith in God's redemptive, intervening, story-writing ability in your life. Jesus says this, 
And how do we know? Because of this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Son of God, the Son of God, the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world, your world, my world, all our worlds. This is what it means to believe in Jesus because he rose from the dead, that same spirit that redeemed death and turned it into resurrection is going to be in your life, somehow intervening in your life all day, every day to the glory of God. There are some dark, hopeless situations out there. But God's commitment that is even if it looks like it's ending in death, it is not going to end in death. The story just keeps on going. The story doesn't end with Lazarus' death. It ended with his resurrection. It doesn't end with Lazarus' resurrection. It ends with Jesus' death. That's the phrase, Jesus wept. It doesn't end with Jesus weeping. It ends with Jesus rising from the dead. But it doesn't end with Jesus rising from the dead. It ends with Jesus giving us the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit. It doesn't end with us just having the Spirit. It ends with Jesus' Spirit working redemptively in our life, intervening. It doesn't end with just us living and dying here on earth. It ends with our own resurrection. It doesn't end with just us resurrecting, but it ends with an eternity of life together. This is the story of God that is not ever going to end the way we think, but it's going to keep going until the fullness of God's glory is known to all and helplessly as we see, we will bend our knees and say, you are God, you are Lord, holy, holy, holy. This is the Christian gospel message, the promise of intervention, redemption in all of our lives because Jesus wept. So, uh, just a couple of practical application points. Uh, number one is we have a sign-up table outside for Big Table. Some of you have said, what is Big Table? Big Table is a ministry started by an ex-pastor. He was a pastor and he saw this need and he wanted to meet it in a more fuller capacity. So he started this organization out in Spokane called Big Table. It's the only ministry to service industry workers in the country. It's the single most underserved community in all of America are service industry workers, restaurant you know, workers, waiters, waitresses, cooks, managers, people who make your beds in the hotel, people who clean your room, people who do the laundry. These people are utterly invisible, and if you do even a little bit of research, just the first page of Google about what their life is like, their life is chaotic. They have no intervention in their life as far as they can tell. They're just left to the system's mercy, of which the system has none. They have no margin in their life. If a little thing happens, like one of their kids gets sick, they lose their jobs, or their kid gets untreated, they don't have benefits, they don't have money, they don't have margin, they don't have hope. So many of the industry workers are uh, dealing with alcohol and drugs. They are invisible, and we have an opportunity to represent divine intervention 
I would love for our church to get to know this organization and partner with them more than we have so far. Nicole Bell heads up this ministry. I love this ministry because it's so practical and pointed. And we can do this every time. It's already integrated into our life because most of us eat out on a regular basis already. And they have ways for you to engage all the service workers you interact with on a daily basis. They've gotten so practical and integrated about this. It's a shame to not be connected to it. We have a table, sign up for a, a lunch, uh, for a dinner that's coming up next week that, you know, many of us are signed up for already, but there's plenty of room left. Please sign up for that. You'll get to hear all about the ministry, get a taste for the work that God is doing through this ministry for those who are least, last, and lost. Another one is free wheelchair mission. Invisible people again. In other countries, if you have a disability like not being able to walk, you become either cursed and or invisible. And yet we have a chance to intervene in the trajectory of their life. They're not relegated to the back room. They're not relegated to homelessness. They're not relegated to shame and indignity for the rest of their life. We can actually intervene in the name of Jesus and lift them up off the ground and change the whole course of their life. And this month we get to double that. We have generous donors who said, whatever this church raises, we will match it. And then some of your companies will match it. And so you get 4X your investment this month with Free Wheelchair Mission. You get to be the hands and feet of the intervening work of God in these people's lives. And then we have Nicholas Fund for Education. It's a long story of divine intervention. If we, God through us, had not intervened years ago, these kids' lives would be at a completely different place, unable to believe in God because where is God? And yet, because of our work and God's work through us, these kids get to believe that God is real, that he cares, that he sees. So there's practical ways for us to enter into the weeping of Jesus, knowing that these tears will be wiped away. So that's my invitation, and we end with this verse. Jesus said, remove the stone. He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, there are some really, really hopeless circumstances that persist in our lives and in our world. These stones, God, they need to be removed and the dead need to come back to life in your name. So Jesus, say to each one of us today, call us by name and call us to come forth. I want to invite you to pray right now. Pray for the stone in your life that's keeping you locked up, keeping you trapped keeping you feeling hopeless. And even if you don't believe in God, just try it. If, you don't, if he doesn't exist, it won't hurt. So just pray. In Jesus' name, raise me up from the dead. In Jesus' name, breathe your spirit into me. In Jesus' name, remove the stone in my life. In Jesus' name, use me to be the divine intervention in somebody else's life. Help me to weep as you weep that I may live even as you live, so that even if I die, I will live. Would you find a way to pray that prayer in your own way?
Would you admit that you need divine intervention? And you long for it. Amen.